resolution. Uh, so I'm the door guy. Thanks for that. My kids will love that. I'll have a t-shirt by the end of the week. Um, no, it's great to be here with you guys. And I just want you to know uh, from somebody who's, who's not, not really part of this church family that you guys are being uh, loved on and prayed for all over the state of Indiana. I don't know if you know that. Um, but uh, your, your church family is, is, is well known and uh, through our, our New Thing Network and other partnerships, uh, there are people all over the state praying for you guys as you're kind of in a season of transition. I just think you should know that, uh, that you guys matter, uh, not just to, to the, the community of Logansport, but, but far beyond that. Um, that's, isn't that beautiful how the kingdom of God works and that you guys know that your brothers and sisters in Christ all over the state know who you are and care about you and are thinking about you. So I'm super excited to be here. It's just a privilege uh, to be here and, and to wrap up this series, talking about hospitality, coming to the table, treating outsiders like insiders. I just really love this focus that, that we're on. And so today we're gonna kind of walk through a little bit of a process of, of what it looks like to uh, engage with our community, to look at people who are outside of the church family, outside of the family of God, people who don't know Jesus, uh, and how do, we, how do we reach out, how do we connect with them? And I know this is something that, that's been a big part of your history at Revolution, and so I just wanna walk us through what a process for understanding what uh, people outside of the church family look like and how, how can we connect them to the gospel of Jesus, right? Isn't that our goal? We wanna help people find Jesus and live like him, right? Uh, and so uh, how do we do that with people who don't know Christ at all and, and are total strangers to us and maybe very different from us? So I'm going to walk through a process that I kind of learned from uh, an author named Scott Cormode. He wrote a book called The Innovative Church, which uh, is a bad title because that's not really what it's about. It's about uh, connecting with people who are different from us and, and who are outside of the church family. So one of the first things that, that we need to do when we are going to think about connecting with those outside the church family is uh, we need to identify the people who have been entrusted to our care. Okay, who are the people who have been entrusted to your care? So often, if you're a parent, uh, your, your first thought is, well, my children. My children have been entrusted to my care, right? Um, what about beyond that? Outside of your home, who are the people who have been entrusted to your care? One of the uncomfortable things about that phrase is that it makes us sort of passive in that. We, we didn't really get to choose all the people that have been entrusted to our care. Sometimes God entrusts people to our care without our permission, right? Uh, he, he just kind of says, hey, I'm gonna put these people in your sphere of influence and I, I am giving you responsibility, spiritual responsibility for other people. And so as a church family, who, who are the people that God has entrusted to the care of Revolution Community Church? Who are those people? What do they look like? Uh, what, what do they need? And, and are we ready to take spiritual responsibility for the people that God has put in our sphere of influence? Uh, how many of you, when you were kids, um, had to beg for a puppy? You begged for a puppy, okay? Some of you had this experience. You begged for a puppy because you were, you were six, seven, eight, nine years old, uh, and... Um, you just knew that having a puppy was gonna be the greatest experience of your life. You knew other people that had puppies and you were so jealous of them because their puppies were so cute and they got to name them and, and snuggle them and all these things. And, and, and mom or dad set you down and said, all right, if we get a puppy, here's how this is gonna work. You're going to take care of the puppy, right? You're, you're going to feed, you're, you're gonna walk, you're, you're, you're gonna clean up after the puppy. And, and you were like, yeah, 
of course. I mean, whatever it takes. Like, I am, sign me up. I'll do all the things. Just get me a puppy, please. This is the dream of my life. And so mom or dad, they, get, they give in and they get you the puppy. And uh, in the first couple days, it's like, you're, you're all about it. You're just cleaning up mess uh, with no complaints and you're feeding and you're walking. And, and then within a couple of weeks, um, you really have lost some steam on the responsibilities. And who's, who's doing most of the care for the puppy within a couple of weeks? It's, it's mom and dad. And honestly, uh, to, to their credit, they knew that this was going to happen, right? They, they, they had no delusions that the, the seven-year-old was going to actually clean up after and walk and, and feed and, and take care. So if it was up to the child, the puppy would, would not survive. It'd be, it, would, it would have starved to death a long time ago. Mom and dad step in. So God has entrusted people to our care human beings, not like puppies, but human beings that have real needs, and we have responsibility. And so the question is, if we don't take responsibility for the people God has entrusted to our care, who who will? Who's going to swoop in and rescue us and save the day, and who's going to be the the mom or dad that comes in and says, well, you know, you guys obviously you're not mature and responsible enough to handle this, so we'll take care of it. Who's going to do that? The answer is, no, nobody. God, God has put these people uh, in, in your sphere of influence and, and you have the responsibility. So the first thing we need to do is identify what, what do the people entrusted to our care, what do they need? Like what, what, what are their, um, what, the way we're gonna say this today is lo- what are their losses and longings? Okay, losses and longings are sort of the, the summary of the human experience. We all have longings. We all have things that we want to experience, we want to pursue, we want to achieve. When you think about uh, your family, there, there are things that you hope for for your family. When you think about your own personal life and your, your spiritual growth and where you're going, there, there are longings built into that. And then we have losses associated with that. So whenever we don't realize or achieve or um, receive what we expect, there's a loss attached to that. And sometimes these are, these are like very real, like human beings who we love, who pass away, that's a loss. And there are jobs that we lose and that's a loss. And there are communities that we have to move, move away from and that's a loss. So what are the losses and longings of the people who have been entrusted to your care? Here's the good news. They're human beings just like you are. So their losses and longings are gonna be very similar, the same on, on some level as yours. So there are three main categories of losses and longings that, that we, we understand and we identify and that the gospel directly speaks to us. So here's it. Here's the foundational thing that I hope we, we all are standing on is that the reason, why, the reason why we care about the people in our community is because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, right? Isn't that why we care? And so the gospel is right uh, underneath everything that we're gonna talk about. So the three categories of the losses and longings of the people entrusted to our care are identity, belonging, and purpose. Everyone longs to have a strong sense of identity, to know who they are. Everyone needs a place to belong, a place where they know they're safe and they're gonna be loved even if they mess up. And everyone wants a purpose. Everyone wants to know that they can contribute something to the people around them, that that they're a part of something bigger than themselves. So this sense of identity, belonging, and purpose lie at the heart of every human being. So we can, without even knowing their names, without even getting into their homes or into their lives, we know that the people who have been entrusted to our care, the people of of Logansport, Indiana, long for identity, belonging, and purpose. And when they don't find those things, they experience loss associated with with not, not finding those. 
And so how does the gospel speak to the longing for identity? So our world will tell us that you are who other people say you are right? You are who other people say you are. So however you present yourself, if if other people think you're smart, then you're smart. If people think you're funny, then you're funny. If people think you're the door guy, you're the door guy. You are who other people say you are, right? Is Is that the gospel truth? No, no. What would the gospel say about our identity? We are who God says we are, right? So people who are outside the church family, who are outside the family of God, don't know this. They don't know that they are who God says they are. So we get this incredible privilege of helping people in their longing for identity understand that you're not who other people say you are. You are who God says you are. What about belonging? When it comes to belonging, what does the world say? You you belong with people who are like you. That's, that's the worldly uh, perspective on belonging. You belong with people who are like you, people who look like you, who, who work the same kinds of jobs, who have the same kind of income, who vote like you, who drive the same kind of vehicles as you. That, that's the people you belong with. What does the gospel say about where you belong? You belong with God. You belong in God's family. And God's family is incredibly diverse when it comes to those other factors, those superficial outward factors of how we look and how we talk and what language we speak and what country we come from. And all of those things blend together in the family of God. And it's this beautiful picture. And so you belong with with God and with his family. And people who are outside the the family of God don't know that. They think that they just belong with people who look like them and talk like them and vote like them and, you know, whatever. Whatever. So we get this incredible privilege of, of helping people see the gospel truth. What about purpose? Everybody wants a purpose. Everybody wants to contribute to something. They want to they feel like they're a part of something that's bigger than themselves. What, what does the world say about, about what our purpose is? What, what is the, the worldly message? Is it, your, your purpose is to find what makes you happy and do as much of that as you can and just try not to hurt anybody else along the way. That, that's, that's the worldly sense of purpose. Find the thing that makes you happy and do as much of that as you can and try not to hurt anybody along the way. Is that, is that the gospel truth about our purpose? Now, our purpose, uh, Paul says it uh, really beautifully and clearly, Ephesians 2.10, that you are God's workmanship, God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. That you have a purpose designed by God that is bigger than you and it goes beyond your personal happiness. Sometimes fulfilling God's purpose will not make you happy in the moment but it brings you peace and joy because you're fulfilling your God-given purpose. People who are outside the church family, they don't know that they, don't know that they have this purpose that's bigger than them and that, it, that, that even if it doesn't make them happy, it is fulfilling something that is, is a part of what God wants for all people. I mean, it's so, it's so fulfilling. You guys, when you've been connected with God's purpose, you know how that feels. You know what that does for you and how it shapes these other parts of you. Your identity and belonging are sort of wrapped up in this too. But people don't know that. And we get this incredible opportunity. We, we need to identify the losses and longings of the people entrusted to our care. And then we need to help them make spiritual sense of that through gospel truth, which is helping them understand how Satan has created these lies that, that we buy into in the, in the world. And, and unfortunately, some of those lies about identity, belonging, and purpose creep into the church as well, don't they? Don't, aren't, we, aren't we tempted to believe those same things? But, but the gospel truth, we need to remind ourselves of that and we need to be able to communicate that to people outside. So how do we do that? Um, first, uh, we, need to, we need to dig a little deeper. These identity, purpose, and belonging are sort of universal human needs. So how can we dig a little deeper and understand people on a, on a deeper level? Um, we need to practice what I would call empathetic listening. Empathetic listening. So empathetic listening is... 
Uh, it's about asking questions and telling stories. Asking questions and telling stories. So we ask uh, uh, really good questions. Uh, we always try to ask questions that are one level deeper than we're actually comfortable with. How many of you have had, had friends, sort of acquaintances? Uh, dudes are, are a lot more susceptible to this than ladies, I think. I don't know, I'm not a lady. But I think we're like this, where guys can sort of have this level of acquaintance with another guy where they, they talk about sports and weather and hunting, and that's it. And like, it never goes beyond that. It's just, and we're pretty comfortable with that. We're like, yeah, it's cool. I know what your favorite sports team is. I know where you like to fish. And that's all I need to know about you, right? Uh, we don't really care to get any farther than that. Man, we, if we're going to really listen to people and understand their losses and longings on a deeper level, we've got to take that conversation another level deeper. And we've got to get to know people. So that's empathetic listening is asking questions that take the conversation another level deeper. And then practice active listening. Active listening, anybody that's married, you, you know that active listening is a really important part of uh, good communication in a relationship. We're talking about eye contact and giving good feedback and all those things. And then uh, here's, here's the thing that I think I would add to this that may be new for some of us. We need to practice listening across differences, okay? Listening across differences. That means I am going to intentionally sit down with people who are different from me, who, who, who look different from me, who vote different from me, who think differently from me, who worship differently from me. I'm going to sit down and intentionally engage in conversation with people who are different from me, not so that I can convince them how wrong they are, but so that I can understand their longings and losses. How many of you are interested in sitting down and having a conversation with someone who wants to convince you that you're wrong? Anybody want to sign up for that? Does that sound like a good idea? Like, no, there would have to be money involved. There would, you'd have to pay me if I'm going to sit down. There, there's got to be some incentive. I don't want to just listen to people how, tell me how wrong I am. Nobody wants that. But how many of you would sign up to sit down with somebody who says, I just, I really want to understand you. We're, we're all about that. We love to talk about ourselves, don't we? Like, real, truly, even, even the introverts among us, if, if, you, if you back us into a corner, we actually love to talk about ourselves. All, all people do. The, the problem is, most people aren't actually interested, <laughs> right? What if Christians were actually interested in understanding other people? What if Christians were actually interested in understanding people who are different from us? What, what do we have to offer at that point? This is gonna open all kinds of doors for us to bring the truth of the gospel to bear on the longings and losses of the people who have been entrusted to our care. And so one of the, the primary ways that we practice this as the church is exactly what we've been talking about in this series, Come to the Table, is the, the ancient Christian practice of hospitality. First of all, you need to know this is an ancient practice. It's been around, you know, from the beginning of the Bible, this practice of hospitality. And, and this idea of treating outsiders like insiders, God invented this, you know, he, he's the first one to treat outsiders like insiders, and you guys have heard some really good uh, talks on this over the last few weeks from Nate and Katie and Kyle, I've done a great job just talking you through all this, but so I'm going to review a little bit, and then we're going to dive into what this looks like when we specifically want to engage our community, people who are outside the family of God, we want to treat those people who are outside the family of God as though they were insiders, you're like, well, are we even supposed to do that? Well, I don't know. Jesus did. Thank you. I appreciate the feedback there. You're absolutely correct. Uh, Luke chapter 15, uh, 1 and 2, uh, goes like this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Uh, 
They muttered. I love, I love the word muttered. I don't know why. I just think that's a great descriptive word. It's just like they're standing in the corner going, can you believe this guy? I can't believe this guy. What is it? Because uh, Jesus is, is engaging with the wrong people. These people are outsiders. And the Pharisees, listen, the Pharisees are, are fine with these people becoming, if they would become insiders, do what they have to do to become insiders, then absolutely we'll sit down and eat with them. But if you're a tax collector or a sinner, however you get in the category of a sinner, I don't know if they thought they weren't sinners or like, I don't know how they created this category. But if you're a tax collector or a sinner, you could, you could become an insider by just walking away from all the bad things that you're doing. Like, and that's kind of where the Pharisees, they were like, hey, you can come to us. If you, would, if you would get rid of all the stuff in your life that's not pleasing to God, you could become an insider and then we're happy to sit down and eat with you. And friends, unfortunately, the church has been through seasons in our history where we've actually treated people that way. We've said, hey, we're here, and, and you're welcome to come and be a part of us, but here, here are all the things you have to leave behind and walk through and, and walk away from, and, and essentially, if you will become like us, we'll treat you like one of us. And it drove the Pharisees nuts that Jesus didn't do that, that he actually didn't require them to change their life first. He sat down with them first. And when he sits down with a tax collector like Zacchaeus, what does Zacchaeus do after that meal with Jesus? He repents from stealing from the people and he gives all his money away. The change comes after Jesus treats him like an insider. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Jesus repeats this over and over again in John chapter 8 with the Samaritan woman at the well. He was not supposed to be talking with her. She was an outsider. Jesus treated her like an insider. The book of Acts is full of examples of this. The apostles going through um, Ananias, the guy who baptized the apostle Paul. And you're like, oh, cool. He got to baptize the apostle Paul. He didn't think it was cool. He thought it was terrifying because at the time his name was Saul and his, his name Saul was associated with somebody who was trying to destroy the church. He was trying to kill all the Christians. And God says, go and baptize this guy. And he's like, no way. Like, he's not one of us. Like, there's no way I'm baptizing this guy. He, I, if I, I show up, he might throw me in jail. But God convinced him to treat Paul like an insider. He baptizes him. Um, Cornelius and Peter. Cornelius was a Gentile. He was not an insider. He was an outsider. And Peter um, is taught by the Holy Spirit to go and treat Cornelius like an insider. Um, so many examples of this. Here's, here's another passage I think is important and critical for what we're talking about. Hebrews chapter 13, verses one and two. It says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. We're good with that, right? We, we, we're gonna love each other. And, and it's difficult sometimes because you look around and you go, eh, I don't know if I like everybody, but I love them, right? So we're supposed to love each other. We're like, yes, love all my brothers and sisters in Christ. Then he says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers people who are not like you people who are not here in this building they've never been in this building they don't even want to come in this building they see the name on the, on the outside and they're like no thanks that's not for me he says do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by doing so some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it that's a pretty cool idea isn't it like when we, when we engage with people when we show hospitality to people that are not like us who knows? Who, who knows who that really is? We, we, don't, we don't know until we, we sit down, we talk to them, we practice empathetic listening and um, start to meet some needs, bring the gospel to bear on their longings for identity and belonging and purpose. And that's, that's when the good stuff really happens. 
So I just uh, want to point out how this was such a big part of the early church. So uh, if, if you're a history person, uh, one of the most fascinating things to study in history is how in the world Christianity survived from the resurrection of Jesus to the time of Constantine, or, or 300 years later, when uh, Christianity was no longer outlawed in the Roman Empire. How did they survive for 300 years as a, a small religious movement that no one wanted to exist? How'd they survive? Well, here's, here's one of the testimonies from uh, an enemy of the church. This guy came along pretty late, um, right, right before the time of, of Constantine. He was an emperor named Claudius. Here's what he has to say about the Christians. We'll put this on the screen because this is good stuff. Um, we'll talk through this. He says, these impious Galileans, so he's talking about Christians there, they not only feed their own poor, but ours also. How dare they, right? Welcoming them into their agape, they attract them as children are attracted with cakes. Whilst the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity. See their love feasts and their tables spread for the indigent. Such practice is common among them and causes a contempt for our gods. He was so angry at the Christians for being kind to people because <laughs> it made his religion look bad. And he said they, 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 they draw people in with their agape. They would have these, every time the church gathered, they would eat together. It was a big part of what they did. That's why come to the table is such an easy theme for a church family, right? They gathered together and they ate together. And they invited people that weren't part of them to their feasts. And he was saying they're, it's like they're, uh, they're enticing people with, with cake, like you would bring children and say, hey, here's some candy. You want to come and join our church? That's how he saw it. But he, he's like, they put, out, they put out donuts and coffee for complete strangers. Who would do that? Right? And he couldn't believe it. But this is how Christianity survived for the first 300 years. They treated outsiders like insiders. They took in the sick, people that had been abandoned by their own families, and left to die, the Christians would come along and take them in and treat them like family and raise them and love them. And that's how they, that's actually how they survived those first 300 years when, when the empire was trying to kill them. And this mentality, I think, um, gets embedded in cultures in a lot of different ways. Uh, I had a chance to visit a friend in Romania who's a missionary there. We were walking through a village uh, one time and, and I just noticed all the houses had these, these nice little fences, not like, defensive, you know, fences. They were just like, you know, to define their property. You know, everybody had their property and there's a little picket fence you could just step over, but it was like, this is my, you know, yard. You stay out of it. But as we were going along, I noticed that about every ninth or tenth house had uh, a well in their yard, but the well was outside the fence, Right? So, you know, I, I was just asking, like, why do, they, why do they cut, you know, the fence out and put the well on the outside? Uh, he said, well, the people here are very, very private about their, their yards. They don't want any, anybody in their yards, but the well is for everybody. So uh, even though the people who own the house own the well, they, their family at some point dug this well, they paid for it. It's theirs. It belongs to the family who lives there. But water is for everyone. And their, their mentality is, why would we... Why would we prevent our neighbors or even strangers passing through from having access to water? Everyone should have access to water. I just think that's so beautiful because I think, isn't that the picture of the church? Like, like Jesus says, I am I'm the living water. And he tells the woman at the well, like people, you drink from me, then there, there's gonna be streams of living water flowing out of you. And water is for everyone. 
Why, why, would, we, why would we limit that to the confines of our church family? Why, why wouldn't we put, that, put the water on the outside? So that's, that's what we're talking about doing. So uh, the, the church family I'm a part of, Cicero Christian Church, uh, about seven years ago, um, we recognized that we had a bad reputation with our community, that people thought of our church as uh, kind of a very insider-focused, a tight-knit group, and um, a very authoritative uh, group of leaders who kind of, whenever they engaged with the community, it was kind of a, you know, we're, we're comfortable doing our own thing. We, 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 like, we like doing our things our way, and it was just a very uh, kind of a controlling environment. And, and we recognize this is, not, this is not who God called us to be as a church. Uh, this is not the way we're supposed to engage with our community. And so we began uh, trying to uh, turn around our reputation in the community. And we started asking these questions. Who are the people entrusted to our care? What are their needs? How do we bring the gospel to bear on their needs uh, for identity, um, belonging, and purpose? So one of the first things we did, we, we had this big Christmas Eve service we would always do every year at Christmas Eve obviously. Uh, And uh, so we started asking, like, um, when it comes to Christmas time, what are some of the losses and longings that people experience at Christmas time, specifically on Christmas Eve? We started to recognize that there were a lot of people in our community who had to work on Christmas Eve, and uh, they they couldn't attend a service. They couldn't even, like, have dinner with their families because they were at work. And we thought, well, what, I wonder what lie they might be believing about their identity because they have to work. And I wondered, uh, we talked to some people and it, it kind of got the idea that some people feel like uh, they're not very important. Important people get Christmas Eve off. Unimportant people have to work on Christmas Eve. We thought, well, that's not true, obviously. How, how can we show these people who have to work on Christmas Eve that they're just as valuable as everybody else? And we thought, donuts. Like, obviously, donuts prove people's value, right? So what we started doing was we, you know, bought a whole, whole bunch of donuts, and at our Christmas Eve service, we would tell our church family, hey, uh, as you leave, and, and you're going to go home, and you're going to do your family traditions and celebrate however you celebrate on Christmas Eve, take a couple boxes of donuts with you and deliver them to somebody who's working on Christmas Eve. So our church family started taking donuts to, to um, hospitals and police departments and fire departments and gas stations and convenience stores, and just Thing. It's just got a little sticker on it that says, hey, you're, you're loved. You know, we recognize it's hard to work on Christmas Eve. We appreciate you working so that we don't have to. So thank you. And it was just a, a, a statement of kindness from our church family that, that came from our intention to address the, the longings and losses, this longing for uh, value and significance that people had to work on Christmas Eve sometimes uh, felt less valuable because they couldn't get the time off. So... Um, that, that, this is us starting to kind of turn around our, our reputation. Uh, the next thing uh, we, we talked about was we recognized that the church's relationship with the LGBTQ community was, was pretty bad. That there were a lot of people in that community who felt uh, rejected by the church. They felt like, well, God hates us, and, and, and therefore Christians hate us, and the church is the last place we ever want to be. And we thought, well, it's, first of all, it's not true that God hates them. Like, what, what can we do to show people in the LGBTQ community that the church actually loves you? Like, how can, how can we do that? And so um, we're, we're 20 minutes, 25 minutes from Indianapolis. Uh, there's a parade every, every summer in June in Indianapolis, the Pride Parade. And we thought, what if we show up at the Pride Parade 
And instead of, there, there were people there at the pride parade with bullhorns and signs protesting and preaching like this God hates you message. I said, what if we showed up and did something different? What if we showed up with some bottles of water? Uh, we put some stickers on that just says you are loved. And we just handed out, it was hot, you know, we say, hey, you know, here, here's some free water. Um, you're, you're loved by, by people who love God. And, and, and we've, we've done this every year. This is my son, uh, his first time going. Uh, I'll, I'll be real honest. The, the decision to take my uh, then uh, nine-year-old son with me to the Pride Parade was uh, a tough one in our house, right? But uh, the, the way that, that, that we came to this decision is, man, I just, I want him to know that God loves all people. And I want him to get a first-hand look at what that means. And so uh, as a church family, this is something that's become important to us. So along the way, one of the things we've learned is that uh, doing, uh, do with is greater than do for. So a lot of times we look at our community and we recognize there are needs and, and we're, are, are, we're kind of drawn to financial needs, material needs, and we go, okay, there's, there's, there's hungry people in our community. There's people who don't have uh, good housing. There's people who don't have enough clothes and, and we're drawn to those needs and we should be. We should be. The church, this church should be the first place, uh, the first group of people in the community who are ready to address those needs. But often what it does is it, it puts us in the mindset of we're here to do for people. We're here to do for people, to do for people. When I think what helps people maintain a sense of dignity when they have needs is when we actually do stuff with people instead of just for. And so we invite people into the process and we recognize that just because someone is poor doesn't mean they have nothing to offer, to contribute. That, that, that poor people have, have skills and intelligence and, and gifts and a lot of things that they can bring to bear. So what if, we, what if we instead we approached our community by saying, okay, what do you have to bring to this need? How can we bring what we have and you bring what you have and, and let's work together? So this is how our uh, community service day came about. So every fall we do a community service day on Sunday. We don't have worship services. We just go out in our community and we serve. And uh, that was giant Jenga falling down in the lobby. Um, yep, yeah, pretty cool. Love it. Uh, so we just went to our community. Uh, we, we started with the police chief and the town council and the parks department, and we said, what are the needs that you see that uh, if, if you just had, listen, if you had 200 volunteers to show up on a day, what could you get done? And they, oh man, they just had all these ideas. And then we went to people in our community who don't go to our church, and we said, hey, we're, we're going to be helping uh, the community with some of these areas. Would you guys like to help us? And we invited them in to our community service day and said, we would love for you, uh, to, we would love to work with you, actually to partner with you in making our community a better place. So the church doesn't just become the people who do for, do for, do for. We're the people who now do with, right? We do with them. And so we, we, we elevate the dignity. We remind people, you're valuable. Just because you're not a part of our church family doesn't mean you're less valuable or you don't have anything to offer. And so we invite people in uh, to our community service day. Um, and what this has resulted in, this is, this is five or six years of us being super intentional about these, and there's a lot of other stories I can tell. I wish I could tell you that oh, we just see a ton of conversions out of this effort that, you know, people are coming to Christ, you know, every time we do a service day or go to the pride parade. Uh, that's actually not true. That doesn't, doesn't really work that way. I wish I could tell you that we've never gotten it wrong, um, that, that we've never made a mistake, that we've never uh, sort of blown it on an on a opportunity to connect with the community and show love. Uh, we have. Uh, there have been times because as human beings, uh, we, we, we mess up sometimes. But here's, here's what's happened is our community has started to see the church as uh, a, a just a fountain of love and care. And so now we don't have to go looking for needs anymore. Our community comes to us. 
Whenever there's a need in our town, the, the police chief calls me and says, hey, you know, can you guys help with this? Um, we, we had a, an organization uh, that wanted to bring a Christian-based mentoring program into our high schools. And uh, they, they went to uh, the school board and said, hey, we want to we recruit some volunteers in this community, and we want to bring this Christian-based mentoring program in uh, to the school. And the school board uh, said, well, um, who, who do you have? Who have you recruited so far? And they said, well, we talked to Cicero Christian Church, uh, and we think they're on board. And the school board said, you're in. If that church is going to be a part of this, we know it's going to be good, you're in. It was our reputation that enabled this program to get into the high school. And so now, we, we don't provide all the volunteers for this program, but we provide a good portion of them. And we have this, this mentoring program that is completely amazing. You should, guys should look into it. Teach one to lead one. You can look that up. And um, it, it's just making a big impact. And it was because we have, we have worked hard to earn this reputation that when we, when we get involved, we're going to do a great job of caring for people. And we can be trusted to stay within whatever boundaries they give us. Um, this, this just happens over and over again. Our community reaches out to us. We have an um, organization in our community called Family Promise. And what they do is they provide tran- uh, transitive, trans transitional, sorry, transitional housing uh, for people that, you know, you get evicted or you're, you know, uh, kicked out of your apartment or, or foreclosed on your house. And wh- where do you stay until you can figure something else out? Uh, they provide transitional housing. And they came to us and they said, there, there's no good transitional housing in Hamilton County. We think Hamilton County, if you guys know anything about Hamilton County, it's one of the wealthiest counties in the state. Um, very, very populous. I mean, we're talking Carmel, Fishers, Noblesville, Westfield. No transitional housing in our county. And they said, would you guys be interested in helping us uh, bring transitional housing into our, into our county? And we said, yeah, sure, what can we do? And they said, well, do you have any land? And we're like, yeah, we have 100 acres of land. Well, and they were like, would you be willing to leverage some of your land? Uh, let us work with a developer and put transitional housing on your land. And we're like, absolutely. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to donate some land to Family Promise. They're going to build some transitional housing on our property. And uh, we're going to provide a need that, that doesn't exist in Hamilton County. Uh, so, so now we, we have this opportunity where the community is coming to us and saying, hey, we know you guys care. We know you guys want to make our community a better place. We know you love people, even people who are different from you. And, um, and we get a chance to partner with, with all kinds of people. And so uh, what I want to encourage you to do is, uh, first of all, recognize, like, um, it's, we're not always going to be well-received. So I, I uh, served in a church in Connecticut for a couple years, uh, before coming to Cicero, and we we wanted to do this uh, thank you gift to all the teachers in the schools. We put together all these bags, and and I went to the school and said, hey, we're gonna we're gonna give some uh, just thank you gifts to the the teachers in the elementary school. Uh, we've got all these these gift bags, and and they said, well, we're, we're, what organization are you with? And I said, well, we're from the church up the street, and they said, nope, we we don't we don't want your gift bags. And I was like, well. There's, there's not like Bibles in them or, you know, there's just a gift bag, you know? And they're like, no thanks. We don't want anything to do with anything from a church. You guys, you do your thing, we'll do our thing, and, and let's, let's stay separate. That was very important in that, in that community. And man, we, we took that back and we were like, okay. So the schools don't, don't want us to even say thank you to the teachers uh, if it's coming from a, a church. And so what do we do with that? And we had to really wrestle with our own identity. Are we... Are, are we just going to kind of hole up in our, in our little corner and hunker, hunker down and say, well, this community doesn't want us, so forget them? Or are we going to recognize we're just going to have to be more creative? We're going to have to find other ways to show love in our community. And we, so we, that's what we had to do. We had to um, kind of rebuild a reputation for wanting to be an asset to that community.
So it doesn't always go smoothly. We don't always get uh, welcomed with open arms every, every time uh, we go. Um, the process of empathetic listening is really slow. Uh, it doesn't happen in one conversation. It often takes uh, years even. There's a, a specific community in our church, a neighborhood in our church uh, that's uh, low-income housing that we're really working hard to do uh, with instead of just do for. And that process uh, hasn't culminated in any big events yet or any you know, real uh, efforts yet. But we're still in the process of listening and understanding, okay, what, what are the gifts and resources that you guys have and how can we work together? So it's, it can be slow, it can be frustrating, um, but... We are standing in the tradition of our brothers and sisters in Christ from 2,000 years ago. We're, we're standing in the example of Jesus Christ and ultimately the example of, of God the Father when we treat outsiders like insiders. So I just want to encourage you as a church family, I know this stuff is already in your history. You guys are going to talk here in a minute about your community partnerships. I just want to challenge you and encourage you as a church family to be thinking about like, what, how can we address the longings and losses in our community with the truth of the gospel in a way that helps people find Jesus and live like him. So would you pray with me about that as, as I wrap up and then uh, Nate's gonna come back up. God, thanks so much for Jesus and his example uh, of treating outsiders like insiders. Thank you for the way the early church reached out to strangers and people who were different from them and that you were able to to love people through the church, even, even in their brokenness. And God, I thank you for Revolution Community Church and the way that you love people through this church family, the way that you're making a difference in Logansport through these people. And I pray that you would continue to do that in new and creative ways, that there would be segments of people that have never been uh, really shown love by Christians that would get to experience that because of what's gonna happen in this church family in the future. Would you continue to bless and encourage and support this church family uh, as they continue uh, to let their lights shine in this community? And you get all the glory for every good thing that happens. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.